0: Welcome along to the Rock and Go podcast, the official podcast of Dumbarton Football Club. My name is Fraser Clark, and once again I'm joined by Chris McMillan and Jack Crawford to reflect on a month that's brought highs, lows and a lot of watching of the weather forecast. We also have a very special guest joining us today, he's the last man to lead Dumbarton to a league title. He was a gaffer for the team that got me hooked and he therefore has quite a lot to answer for. But first, we'll reflect on a month or so since our last podcast, which was before the two-one victory over Annan Athletic. That was a great result on a dodgy pitch. And Stevie Farrell said afterwards, a pretty terrible performance. Jack,
1: it was one of the ugliest wins we've had this season. I think there's been a few of them, but that one must be right up there. Um, even the goals, I mean, the first goal in particular, going from back to finish with one uh, back back to front with one kick was pretty impressive. But it's, it's, it's a game you look back at the end of the season. You're like, that was a really good three points that day. We didn't, we weren't at our best, but maybe said it in the last podcast but coming through games like that at the end of the season you will that that, that's back that
2: kind of goes over the line
0: Why, you know if there's problems with the pitch why bother playing on it? Just get Brett Long to
2: punt it off <laughs> it'll take one bounce and Ryan Wallace will stick it in the net hope, he, hope Brett Long's been watching those highlights oh, I don't know if there, oh, I don't know if there are highlights actually but um, yeah it feels like it's been about a month since the last game in general to be fair but you mentioned there about that Annan win not being the best but being very significant, I'd written that down as well. It did feel like a very significant result and the way that it came about as well. Like it wasn't a great performance. The goal that Tommy Goss scored came from quite a well it was like three defensive errors in one, kind of wasn't it? Um and it came but yeah, the, the, the winner and the way that it came about it just it felt like a really big moment yeah. in, in the season, in the title race. Unfortunately, yeah, unless you were here, no one's ever going to be able to see that goal <laughs> ever again. No, but, pick, Which is a shame because it a, could have been could be a really big moment. Pixel let
0: us down big time for that and let Russell yeah. McLean down for that. But one thing that I wanted to touch on was in that game, especially in the second half, Dumbarton were well under the cosh and Stevie Farrell made a switch. And he switched to four four two, mm. and that was a kind of sons. Maybe could have tried to sit, contain, and take the point, And he switched that, to the 4-4-2 I think he'd done
2: that in the game before, hadn't he? Yeah, contained, yeah. and it didn't it didn't pay off.
0: And it didn't pay off against Senhouse Muir, and it was almost like he'd learned from that and went the opposite way. Went to four four two. Russell McLean scored a, a tremendous. You'll have to take our word for it, and or ask the big man because he'll he'll tell you it was great. <laughs> but he scored a tremendous winning goal in it, and that felt like the reward, and that almost felt like a bit of a change. I don't know, just in the whole mood around the place.
2: Yeah, I think so too, uh, and it. When you make a diff, uh, uh, a change like that in that game, going attacking, chasing the three points, not taking a point, it change it can change the whole mood of the of the crowd. I think when that decision, uh, when uh, Stevie Farrell made that decision to make those changes, I think we looked at each other in the commentary area and we we're just like, oh, okay. But everyone in the crowd would have done that as well. Mm-hmm. You can, you, I think, you can have felt that at the time
0: managers very much sort of live and die by their decisions as well and it's, you know, you have to have the balls to be brave enough to go for it and in that game Faz did and do you think that that almost won him a wee bit more respect? We were talking in the last one about the crowd maybe being on his back he's still uh-huh. got a lot of critics to win over he's got to meet the manager session which will be going on as <laughs> we record this so, you know, that might help him as well but that maybe earned him a wee bit more, I don't know if respect is the word or just got the fans on side a little bit more
1: We did, cause we, I think last time we sat in we said when's he going to go to up top because obviously infamous game at Stullin was last time we went for it um, prior to that so I think I did buy a bit, maybe not bottom time because I don't think he was ever in danger of not losing his job or anything but um, I, I think it, it won, got some fans back in the side definitely
2: so when you've got those options as well like you brought Russell McLean in like Declan Burn is right. getting back to full fitness like you do have those options it's not like you're forcing it out of nowhere and you know maybe sho- maybe shoving I, uh, I was going to say Ross McLean. That's harsh because he can play up front, mm. but like you're not kind of trying to force that that wave at the top of the pitch. You do have those natural strikers at your disposal.
0: We'll talk a wee bit about it, but obviously there was that clamour for four four two, and we said, well, the four one four one's working. But when you've got Ryan Wallace, you've got Declan Byrne, you've got mm. Russell McLean, you've got options the there. You, you can, can change it. You can change it and go four four two now. These five games game, I'll touch on very briefly, mainly because I'd actually forgotten about it up uh, yeah. until we were going through the list of the games that we had to talk about here, and it was rubbish, Suns lost. Eh, it was 2-0 in the end, wasn't it? Yeah, they scored late yeah, at the end. Yeah, mm. I, I mean, see, I've completely wiped this from my memory. <laughs> and in that game, eh, after after East Five took the lead, Suns really pushed everything at it, but seemed to almost lose sight of what they're good at, which was that structure.
1: I think if we're still playing in never we wouldn't have scored yet. we you have playing plenty the ball, we just had there was no final pass that day for whatever reason maybe you have to give his five bit credit for that, but just we couldn't find that final ball across, the cross whatever it was um, I think we started well in that game that's the only thing I remember I think we should have scored twice in the first 15 minutes but yep. as soon as they took the lead from the, the corner that wasn't I remember that um, uh, Yeah, we just never got back in the game at all and just lacked that, that, that killer pass
0: we're not going to touch too much on that East Fife game because I've slightly forgotten about it. Stroke erased it, <laughs> and the next we, one's not much better. <laughs> we will talk about the Elgin game where Stevie Farrell went 4-4-2. I think that we looked at it and and the team lineup I'm like oh you know like yes let's bring that and it turned out to be probably the worst performance of the season.
2: Yeah, everyone fancied that lineup when it came out, didn't they? <laughs> I certainly did as well. Yeah, but I, I, that was a nightmare. That um, I mean, you talk about maybe not quite getting the final ball up at East Fife, and you know. Nothing went right this day. Not nothing at all. It was, it was everything you don't want to see from your side when they're at the top of the league, mm-hmm. when they need to get results. Uh, and I think I said to you at the time, and I will stick by it. On that day, I think Sons looked like a team that were frightened of being chased, and they that was the first time they, for me personally, you know, and I think everybody knows. Like I'm, I'm not a, a die in the wool fan like yours, mm-hmm. but. That was the first time when I was really thinking, "Whoa, this side looks like they might get caught here." And Elgin played well here earlier on in the season, and they, they came in and did the same thing as well. It just, I think the difference being is that wasn't a performance where, oh, you know, the, the final ball wasn't quite good enough, or maybe just should have scored but didn't take the chance or whatever. It was just, it was just poor.
1: Elgin wanted it a lot more that day for whatever reason, um, and that's one thing you could probably say about the this season that that hasn't happened enough times. And I think Stephen Farrell came out and said that quite openly after the game. He's he's not like really got in the back of his players this season. Um, he's not had a reason to, but that when he's had to, he has. Um, and that day, Elgin just first to every ball, first to every tackle. Um, they wanted it a lot more. I think when going into the game, Elgin were I think they, was a, they were the team the worst form in the division. So when, yeah. you see, when you when you seen the lineup, you fancy that it's a, for the game to go. Four four two. Then this is probably the perfect chance against the team that's lacking confidence, lacking in form. But especially Kane Hester, he, he tore us apart that day.
2: And another thing that worried me is the the Ryan Blair goal that came out of nowhere. But it was at an ideal time, just yeah. before half time And mm. you think, right, okay, you got away you, with us. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. you've got away with that bad bad first half performance. Mm. But then there was just there was no answer to that. There was mm. no improvement in the second half, which I found particularly worrying.
0: My my kind of th- or major takeaway from that, and since then their form has been dreadful as well. Is I cannot understand why Elgin are doing so poorly. Mm-hmm. But what I would say is they dominated that game. Yep. They should have won that game. Three 0 four 0 would have been. You know that was that was as one sided as the game up at Borough Briggs in November yeah. was in Sun's they, they wouldn't
2: have had an easier away game all season probably.
0: No. Uh, but they only won it 2-1 with a penalty that was gifted to them is that maybe why Elgin aren't
1: you know aren't climbing the table I
2: actually forgot about that mistake just yeah. until you brought Sp- that speaking up speaking
1: of as well. getting away from it we should have got away with that we made a dreadful mistake and was it Hester went through and hit the post and then yep. obviously we're not going to name out individuals but it, and there was a, a few of them that could have done better That instance, um, you think you get away with a missed chance and then to, to gift them the penalty it was def- defending that we've seen in the past
2: but I mean you've got a point there uh, you know the penalty comes from a quite frankly, ridiculous situation, a mistake that a defender is probably going to make once in their career,
3: mm-hmm.
2: a, a, an error of that s- sort of style, if you like. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's a very, very weird it was situation. A, it is a
0: freak sort of penalty to concede. And also, I would say, having seen the zoomed in replay, I'm not actually sure how much of a touch Gregor Buchanan makes on Mitchell Taylor, but I feel like the whole situation between Bucky and between Brett Long Conceding a penalty was, was probably deserved. Yeah, 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 like, yeah, the, yeah, yeah, I know the, what you mean. The punishment maybe didn't fit the crime in a literal mm-hmm. sense, but it did fit the crime in terms of like that was one you've got off, it's hit the post, put it in the stand, put it in the leaving, yeah. put it anywhere, mm-hmm. don't dilly dally and don't give Elgin a chance there. And like we said, Sun's getting level at half time when they maybe didn't deserve to be, and then they went and chucked it away. And it's just that game management thing that's been mm-hmm. so, so good all season completely deserted them.
2: Do you remember the quote that you said to me in commentary at the time?
0: Uh, was it to do with Neil Warnock? Yeah. And they've never scored from the stand. <laughs> That's yeah. the one, That's, yeah. I almost said it again there, but I didn't want people thinking <laughs> that my patter was repetitive. <laughs> <laughs> but
2: the, the thing is that, like, that moment I am sure would have gone in super slow motion in Gregor Buchanan's mm-hmm. head as well. And. would in slow motion, watch Yeah, <laughs> yeah he, he wouldn't have been able to describe what happened. And yeah, you're right, maybe that is the reason why Elgin are struggling. Like, they came away to the top of the league, they, they dominated, they played really well, but they needed an outrageous sort of fluke of a, of a of a mistake to, to help them win the game Which
1: is strange when you think they've got probably the best strikes in the division up top, you'd think they'd have that kind of that kind of touch but for a reason it's kind of lacked on the season Something that just
0: kind of popped into my head as well so uh, we're recording this before Dumbarton play Albion Rovers who of course have Charlie Riley Now, mm. you're probably your three best attacking players in the division Tommy Goffs, Charlie Riley and Kane Hester, million dollar question for all of you, you can pick one in this Dumbarton team you can take a minute to think about it, whilst I think about it to myself. Now, I am an enormous fan of Kane Hester, and I said it—I think—to both of you after the game that he played every role of a striker, yeah. like he held play up, he ran the channels, he was a goal threat, he linked play, he did his defensive duty, he pressed defenders. He literally was a complete striker. Everything he did. I mean, you've just been lined up for me, right was there. <laughs> but I think I'd pick Charlie Riley so because would, uh, just, I think Charlie Riley is the sort of player that I would pay money to watch.
2: Mm. The only Let's reason I't talk him up too much yeah, the only reason I was thinking I'd rather not Rayleigh was i you know and I only saw him here in that game, but after an hour he was done mm. if If Rayleigh could play ninety minutes i'm on I'm on with you, but in this Suns team right now, I take Hester, I think.
0: And Nobody's taking Tommy Goss, who is the top scorer in the division, I think.
2: I wouldn't say no, but <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I, I think just from like you, like I said, you made my mind up there for everything that Hester brings, I think, as well. And like, I'm not uh, slating any of the Suns' forwards this season, but there's not a high amount of goals there, no. And for which
1: everything, it's positives as well,
2: yeah, it, it, do it do does do do as work. well. The goals have been spread around yeah. the team, it's not a, it's not a, a worrying situation. Yeah. But I think in the system that Suns play, this four-one-four-one, if you've got a Hester up top who's, you know, buzzing around and causing all those problems, dragging defenders out wide, running down the channels, just doing everything that you just mentioned, that's why I would take him. But fully fit Riley. uh, I'm very interested to see where he goes in the summer I I was going to say I'm excited
0: to see where he ends up Because I think he could go on to play at a very very good level I love the Mm -hmm. way he strikes the ball I was reading an interview with him Where he said that he hadn't really played in the wing Until he moved to Albion Rovers But he just loves taking players on And I I love that from a winger Like he just wants to skin people And that's great Like that's fantastic
2: I've I've got the stat for you here That we were trying to figure out in the last (laughs) podcast right? So obviously a few games have passed And I was looking it up because it is Albion Rovers at home today But uh, Charlie Riley Eighteen league goals, seven league assists, twenty five goal involvements out of Rovers thirty two league goals, which is just over seventy eight percent.
0: I'm I don't think even David Goodwillie at Clyde would have anything up that I mean no. I'm quite happy for, for a Clyde fan to message me on Twitter and let me know, but I feel like that must be exceeding David Goodwillie's impact at Clyde. Yeah,
2: and I feel bad for saying like I'm excited to see where he goes in the summer. Imagine being an Albion Rovers fan when that tweet comes out saying Charlie, Charlie Raleigh is left. But just, he's, he's what
1: kind of deal they on
0: there? Is you one? I think he's up in the summer, but they will get a development fee for him because of his age. Now, mm-hmm. I, I wonder as well. Like he's he's a once in a generation for an Albion Rovers fan sort of player. Like every so often maybe every I don't know every fifteen years, clubs like us, like Albion Rovers, will get a player like that. And I, I imagine there'll be a wee bit of pride. Like I think if I was an mm-hmm. Albion Rovers fan, and if I see he goes to, I think Dundee had been linked to a club yeah. like that. He goes to Dundee, maybe they're in the Premiership next season. And he has an impact. I would watch that. Like I watched Stuart Finlay, like a sort of proud dad. Yeah. You right. know, like players who have been at the club and have gone on. And I think we all do that. Like I, I was when Chris Kane was playing for St Johnson and they were mm-hmm. winning everything. Like, I was so 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 proud of him Like yeah. I, I remember your first senior goal. Look at you now,
1: son. Yeah, highlandsies. I always when I like looking out for The guys that go down I always look out
2: for. When uh, when Chia Adams played for Scotland and I was like, I was there. I saw his first goal so I've, <laughs> seen, I've, I've seen him, but. Uh, I, I, you mentioned uh, Dundee. I wondered maybe whether like Thistle would be interested in bringing him back. Mm. But he seems like he would be a good fit of Thistle. Yeah, but I, they, they are quite well sta- uh, stacked out wide as well if he was going to continue in, in the left-wing position. We're, we're, we're probably getting a bit sidetracked.
0: The, so. the Charlie <laughs> Riley fan podcast, so you'll, you'll come in now um, and we're just going to be stood kind of in awe and autograph book out just to, like... You remember me when your
2: famous. Well, as long as he has a shocking afternoon <laughs> <Yeah>. today. <so. laughs> he'll
0: score. <Yeah. laughs> or he'll assist. Well, you, you picked
2: to. out those strikers. Remember, um, Suns only conceded, what, six, seven goals at home all season? Yep. Mm-hmm. And, and Riley scored Goss Hester. Basically, all the top scorers in the <laughs> yeah. league, apart from Carrick.
0: There's, there's still time. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
2: I've found the net here as well, so... It takes a takes a good player to, to hit the net in Dumbarton at the moment.
0: Speaking of top players in the league, that sort of brings us on to a guy who's maybe been a bit more under the radar than the, the big three, if you will, and that's Matty Yates at Steny. Now, that dumbarton stenhouse your game, coming on the back of the Elgin game, I think there was a real uh, trepidation, the right word? It was, mm-hmm. how would Dumbarton respond to this? And I was talking to Craig Telfer last week and he said he couldn't believe how downbeat the Dumbarton fans were coming in so he was stood at the turnstile coming in and he was like I kind of expected it would be like when you go to see a club at the top of the league because like, everybody I spoke to was like nah we're going to get pumped today <laughs> <laughs> the, the general mood was like exceptionally low and Dumbarton turned in one of their best performances at home of the season
1: it both sides of the park were brilliant it was unlucky to only be 1-0 that day we talked a lot about Faz kind of winning some fans back with the Anning game right the Elgin game we probably lost those fans that he won back to respond in the man that was against Denny Muir, who, who who again were coming to that game on the back of some decent results. Um, it was a really impressive performance and I'm lucky to, to win that
0: 1-0. What a massive, massive part of that was Declan Byrne being back and we've spoken about Son's problems up front. Problems is probably too strong a word but certainly the lack of maybe a player who suits the style of football that the Martin play. Declan Byrne that night harnessed his inner Kane Hester.
2: I was just going <laughs> to say exactly the same thing. He did everything... That Kane Hester did against him, Barton, he was up front on his own. I think that was his first start back in, mm. and he was he was buzzing around. He was he was working the defenders. He, he he worked so hard. I think he got he got taken off after the hour, maybe seventy minutes or yeah. something like that. But he really did so so well that night. And I just every everything that that Elgin game was, this Steny game wasn't, and we just didn't quite really see it coming. at think something you said to me, Jack, actually at that game that I hadn't thought of at the time, but. That Dumbarton performance, that, was a, that came after them not having a training session since that yeah. game. So they would have just come back and mm-hmm. they would have had an absolute rollicking off the manager after Elgin, then come back into that situation. And for anyone that, you know, like I think there are some fans out there that are still undecided on the manager. They're maybe not his biggest fan or whatever. But I think I said to you that night, that is a team who is, was playing, in my opinion, for the manager. That, that that doesn't just happen. And they're in a they're in obviously in a great position that, you know, maybe the Elgin games a wake up call losing two games in the spin. But yeah, it, what a performance that was. It was just it it was it was great to watch. It was a, it was a really good game to watch.
0: A big part of that, as well, certainly as far as I'm concerned, was that sort of midfield duo, Joe McKee and Finlay Gray. Finlay Gray obviously got the winner on what everyone thought was his birthday, but what <laughs> which I later found out was in fact not his birthday. You're joking. Uh, I was reading an article today in a newspaper that I won't mention because it's a rival of both of our companies, but it was the Sun. Uh, that said, <laughs> that said, uh, his birthday is actually the 28th of April. Um, and it's just wrong on every website including Dumbartons and the programme and everywhere. but this <laughs> sounds right uh, but the sun is right because it came out the horse's mouth or from the ah, grey's mouth so his birthday so you'll get the chance to do it again this his birthday on the 28th of April
2: right the 20th okay I'm going to need to make a note of that that, that just really I, I was really going for that as well in the commentary that was that was the, that was a, but it was a glorious narrative well, you know, what else yeah. was I supposed to do
0: I, I heard uh, unconfirmed reports that a local newspaper in Dumbarton may have ran a full page lead that was uh, birthday boy grey grabs winner or something along <laughs> the lines of that uh, and he only found out say this morning that it wasn't actually his birthday. <laughs> oh
2: dear. Well, I mean, it was a lovely goal. It was, it, came, it's, it was a really nice hit. And yeah, he he came on, didn't he, in the previous game? No, no, the game yeah. before that for uh, into midfield and did really well and got his place the back the came, yeah. Yeah, Aron, yeah, Aron, in the team. Yeah, Aaron. that's exactly it. Yeah, Wilson yeah. came yeah. off,
1: yeah. yeah. Wilson had been so good for, they used to, for Finlay to come in and fill Dev's boots the way he has the past few weeks. It's been brilliant.
0: It's one that I've not actually looked into. You might have the stats there, he says, filing the pressure on. But I just feel like Joe McKee makes Martin a far better team without standing out. Now, I don't know what the stats are, but it feels like, a bit like Greg Wilde, maybe he goes a bit under the radar, but when he starts, he might only put in a 7 out of 10 every single week. But it makes Dumbarton a better team.
2: So you do this to me every time, and you give me something like this. <laughs> that don't the, I don't have the stats <laughs> for it. Then I come on the next podcast with the answers to it, and then you give me the <laughs> next one. So you just like there's no, I don't have the like the win percentage of when McKee uh, starts. But yeah, I think when he's on when he's on song, he does make this this uh, Dumbarton team better. And I'm a big fan of Finlay Gray as well, and I think they're a nice combination. Um, mm. The two of them in the middle of the park, uh, Gray's got that energy. Um, McKee's got that range of pass and he's got that bit of composure. I think Wilson's got that as well. Um, I'm a big fan of Wilson's first touch as well. I think he's got a bit of that as well. But
0: it was just something that popped into my head there. But obviously we're gonna we're gonna have to touch on the pitch situation and this seems like the mm. ideal time to do it. That is not a Joe McKee pitch mm. out there. It's not a David Wilson pitch. It might maybe suit Finley Gray a wee bit more, but certainly not to you know a particularly high degree. How concerned are you about the pitch? Now, we, we've seen it today, it's past the pitch inspection, as of 11.45am on the 18th of March, and Barton will be playing Albion Rovers at home. Give it time. Yeah, give it time, <laughs> high tide, low tide, and all that kind of stuff. Um, how concerned are you about the pitch situation in terms of it now creating potentially a bit of a fixture backlog, but also, like, no player wants to play on a pitch like that?
1: I'm both worried about the fixture backlog, because I think every team in, in the division, especially Sterling, have got that contenders as well, um, it's more the, you know, the way it's going to dig up after one game um, it, it does look okay just now but you can just tell as soon as you know, 10 minutes and a couple of sliding challenges the pitch is going to dig up and you know, kind of leave its mark um, it's not the pitch that uh, Joe McKee, you're right there um, but McKee, he, kind of, he keeps us ticking over um, in the middle of the park as you say, he does his job very quietly um, and also he's got that set piece delivery as well which we've made the most of this season
2: I wonder whether any player has been told if you score today, there'll be absolutely no knee slides whatsoever because <laughs> that might take a little while to grow back. But. It might
0: take a little while to find the player if they knee slide it. But like that Saul Campbell slide tackle <laughs> at Wembley where he disappears like, practically into the stand. If like, you'd timed your, your knee slide right in front of the tunnel, you'd probably come out the front door.
2: <laughs> I think, yeah, the worry about the pitch situation is just from the backlog that it's creating and it feels, it's obviously quite pivotal um, where... Suns are in the season, the state of the title race you obviously mentioned Sterling, they need to contend with it as well but something that I wanted to put to you was this fixture backlog has now changed that slightly where mm. now Sterling Albion have Dumbarton at home first in this little double header and I don't know how much you look into that or whether there's any sort of psychological advantage to be taken, obviously you want to be taking the points, that's the main thing but you know, Sterling Albion have got a chance to play Suns at home we all know what happened earlier on in the season mm-hmm. win that you might get to the summit knocked Dumbarton Barton down a little bit and then all of a sudden you've gone from leading for such a long period of time to chasing again
0: the big thing that stands out to me so I think both clubs would take a draw in the away game if they win the home game mm. so I think it it changes it to an extent And that Suns when they had Sterling here I mean, I don't think this is what Stevie Farrell will have been saying to them or anything, but from my point of view, I go, you need to win the home game, and then if you can go to fourth bank and take a point, that'll be absolutely fine. Now it switches that round, where sons know, well, we can probably take a point at fourth bank, but even if we lose that, then we've got another game to basically cancel it out back mm. at our place. That, that might help psychologically. What I will say, though, is I think it's fired up Sterling Albion. I think that's twice they've obviously travelled here and it's been called off. The other game was called off a wee bit earlier, so it's maybe not quite the same. But I think if you're Darren Young, you're building that sort of siege mentality mm-hmm. inside. Like, I absolutely, would be like these guys they're, don't they're want to play you. They're doing it publicly as well. Yeah, they yeah. don't want to. They don't want to play you, or they're messing you about. They're trying to play mind games with you. Like, it's it's absolute drivel, obviously. Yeah, but It's not, not that deep. Is no, it? <laughs> I, I, I don't think anyone's got the Mourinho-esque mind games. But I would absolutely be doing that, and I think Stevie Farrell would be doing that as well.
1: Everyone.
2: Does. <laughs> I, I mean, I, yeah, I agree with you. I just, yeah, I, they've obviously. They they have been quite public in the sort of I don't know slight criticism yeah. uh, of these games not going ahead, which I think is designed to do exactly that and to get the fans on side and mm. yeah it just the the weather situation is unfortunate but I just I feel like with these two games looming and for at one point I think they were. They were sandwiched with one game in between, you know, it would have been quite a quick turnaround. Mm -hmm. It just feels like that has been on the horizon for what feels like a long, long time. And yeah, just I kind of want to get them out of the way, but also don't at the same time because this
0: will be my third week previewing the department against Sterling (laughs) Albion on the back page of the paper. (laughs) I'm running out of people to talk about it, that's the problem. (laughs) But um, yeah, it feels like those Sterling games they could be season defining, but also. If Dunbarton win that game, I'm not immediately going to be like, well, that's it, it's the League 1. Yes. And if Sterling win it, they're not going to be like, that's it, the League 1. Because this league, and it's such a cliche, and it actually almost hasn't been the case in that Dumbarton and Sterling have been so far ahead of everybody else. But, like, would would you be super confident going to Clifton Hill? Going to New Dundas mm. Park? I mean, going down to Stair Park, where which we'll come to, where Suns' record is horrendous. Like, there are so many opportunities to slip up, and every other team in this league... At this moment in time Has something to play for And
2: it's got to come at some point I, I was just going to say to you there I think maybe the only thing is Like we've seen Suns lose A couple of games In the last uh, Four Six games Still and Albion Just seem to have, Just not lose They just seem to Keep Even, bring, if, they, even if they're behind the They seem to just Bring it back And get in a draw And I, I am a b- believer Like I don't think That that can c- continue For the rest of the season Like that they, they will have to lose At some point But they just They seem to have that Like
0: Just what I would also say about Sterling Albion is they've scored some of the best goals yes, I've seen sure. and they've been at huge points in their season. So down at Annan, they scored two screamers, mm-hmm. I think Kieran Moore and Ross McGehee. Now Ross McGehee is not a guy who scores goals. I think he's he's been at Albion for near enough a decade and I think he's in single-figure goals. He's gone, smacked one in from 25 yards. Danny Denham scored an outrageous goal against Albion uh, Rovers, Rovers at home, like an absolutely one of the best goals I've seen this season. And even last week when they got that injury time winner against Bonyo, it was yeah. a beautiful <laughs> goal. See, there was no desperation; it was just a really well worked goal and a great mm-hmm. finish from Jack Leach. Now, there's two ways of looking at that. That's that's what title winners do.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: I think that's but, what some of their fans might be thinking. Yeah, yeah, like th- this is the mark of it. Champions.
0: Yeah, but there's also a, a, a way of looking at it and going well
1: you can't score
2: well either of the week kind yeah. of thing
0: yeah. Charlie Riley can but <laughs> most people most people can't score can't score like a screamer every single week to almost dig you out that gap mm-hmm. that's not to say that they won't just go and score three normal goals or five from set pieces in one game they would that no that would be silly that would be harsh it? Yeah, <laughs> why would you do that to somebody that's horrible yeah just like they can't defend corners in this game so just leave them alone like yeah. there's no need show a bit of humanity it's like
2: Suns have never done that that would
0: be horrible yeah not yeah. to Darren Young team no definitely not <laughs> Uh, we'll come to the final game that we've got to talk about in this sort of, well, I was going to say it's been a month and a bit since we did the podcast, but we've only done five games and that includes one midweek uh, and that was what feels like a lifetime ago at Stranraer. I managed to get back uh, yesterday because that's how long it takes to get back from Stranraer, just in time uh, for today's game, so I was quite pleased that the forefront Sterling Stirling Albion games were called off. Uh, that is Dumbarton's 8th win in 46 trips to Stair Park stretching back to 1955. Jack Crawford how many of them have you seen?
1: two I believe yep, I think, think, I'm think I'm the same I think we, did we win 3-0 yep uh, we, Ross, Ross Perry scored that game Ross Perry <laughs> oh, Ross did score that game Ross Perry a
0: real <laughs> I was there, uh, a moment <laughs> <laughs> uh, 3-0 uh, with Dom Thomas, Dom Thomas Ross scored. Perry and Ross Forbes where you can see me on the highlights I think it was 0-0 at this point Ross Forbes
2: did you have your, your shirt off eh? uh, yeah yeah
0: <laughs> you know the big DFC <laughs> tattooed in my stomach um, and as Ross Forbes takes on the shot I shout don't shoot in a sort of <laughs> exasperated tone and then he goes and sticks it in the top corner so what do I know I can tell I
1: Ross Forbes not to
2: shoot
0: I know what's the thinking? <laughs> Like, there's just no absolutely no thinking going on there
2: well but, I was going to say you were very pessimistic before that game but yeah those stats back up I didn't realise they were quite that bad they
0: so. really are absolutely dismal and that was a polished professional yeah.
1: comfortable performance yeah all of those things you said a really good away performance um, at both sides of the park I don't think we really came in too much trouble um, con- conceding and we probably could add a couple more, um, really professional performance and talking about still and doing all these things that kind of maybe make some worthy title winners but for the Martin for team to go to Stilinar, um <laughs> and win, that's... That doesn't scream <laughs> title winner <laughs> and I don't know what does. Yeah, exactly.
2: And it backs up the win against uh, <coughs> stenhouse mood as well doesn't it? Yeah, it yeah, it, it back backs back up the exactly. performance. Uh, yeah.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Obviously that was also back to back clean sheets, so I'm just getting that up now, but that's thirteen clean sheets in twenty six league games. I don't know how I forgot that, because Faz has mentioned it quite a lot, but thirteen clean sheets in twenty six league games. This was a Dumbarton team who kept how many last season? Four or there or thereabouts.
2: Yeah, that
0: been. that is you know, that's the case of over the summer Faz has obviously looked at what what cost Dumbarton last season. And actually going forward they were okay. What cost them massively was at the back and to have thirteen clean sheets after twenty six league games is
1: Phenomenal. I think we're on track for the record, aren't we? Is it yes. 16? I
0: think, wa- I think one more in the league would equal the record and right. two more would beat it.
1: Jim updates as every week, doesn't he? I think it's Brett
2: so. Long will be very confident about beating that as well, I would imagine. I would think so. Just to, uh, to put it into perspective what the Suns went what four games without a clean sheet and I, w- I remember like writing down just like four games without a clean sheet this <laughs> is ridiculous. <laughs> just like, I don't think I'd seen that since I've started like since I've been involved here. I'd, Probably not but
0: The man who sort of I guess starred in both boxes In that game as well Was Gregor Buchanan Now we have been informed That he'll be out Today's game at Albion Rovers So it's no point talking about How big a miss he might be Could be because Suns could go and win 3-0 And nobody will notice Or Suns could lose 3-0 <laughs> And everyone will say He's been a huge miss But after a, I think it's safe to say A pretty difficult season last year Where we didn't see The Gregor Buchanan That was here on his first spell How impressed have you been By Gregor this season?
1: Massively Not not just Gregor But the, the whole back five night, And I think that's why Um we're on quite a clean sheet record because we've had that consistent back five all season. Um, obviously, coming in as captain this season after Kazi last season, um, and another step up for me. But that's bringing the best out of and out of Kazi as well. Um, it's brought a different level to Kazi's game. But the whole back five has been terrific this season.
0: And the newest addition to that back five is a man who I'm pretty sure you're just going to mention is Peter Grant, who I have been hugely impressed with.
2: Absolutely, I'm glad I'm glad you um, you brought it up because I wanted to. But yeah, I've been very impressed with him since he's come into this into the side. Um, and there was no disrespect to Carswell When he came out and Grant went in But Peter Grant just looks like a centre-half He attacks the ball like a centre-half He heads it and kicks it In the most beautiful centre-half way And yeah I just I think he's been really really impressive And it, it's left uh, Stevie Farrell I mean Buchanan's out today But in the running It's left him with options Like he's given himself some options up top He's now got some at the heart of defence And you know maybe it's given him a headache I don't know who I would Personally, start if all three are fit. But I've, yeah, I've just been hugely impressed with him since he's come into the team. And uh, yeah, I don't know how loudly I was saying it when he was, when his dad was sitting right in front of us, but <laughs> he came on as substitute. It's just a, a wonderful head off from Grant. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what I should say as well is you spoke about Bucky taking the armband. that Peter Grant is a captain without the armband. He's mm. so so vocal on the pitch. I've seen him dishing out roller kings. I've seen him getting guys going. He's pushing the team up and just having another vocal leader back there. I mean, I couldn't believe he's 28. I think. He, I mean, he plays like a guy who's in his mid-30s and, you know, coming to the end of the game. has been cube, about forever. It does feel like that, doesn't it? I mean, I'm, he scored in the Scottish Cup um, final, like, absolutely years ago, mm-hmm. but he must have been a child at that point.
1: <laughs> I know, he's been terrific since the game, and, um, he's barely put a foot wrong, and he made his debut up at Steny when we conceded late on, and he was really unlucky, I think, Far- Farrell said after the game, um, Peter Grant didn't deserve to be losing team here because he came on even though it was over 10 minutes, Um he won every header, even in the build-up to that goal. Then he's made one about two headers before it, before the ball came back in. Um, Chris was saying, "Like, who would you pick as your kind of two centre backs?" It's a difficult one because Cardi doesn't deserve to be dropped, but I think when you're going for a league like title, you need that. Peter Grant won this league uh, a couple of years ago with Queens Park. So. Um, he really to be in the team. I think. going for a hat trick of promotions. He told me because he got promoted with Queens Park last
0: year as well. The man knows what it takes to get over the line.
2: Would yeah, you, I agree with the, I agree with that. To be honest, yeah, I think I, I don't think Caswell deserves to be dropped. No, no. But
0: he's also naturally left-footed, Peter Grant, and that yeah. just it sounds so so simple, but just yeah. that balance of having two left-footers and two right-footers, and it's something that Dumbarton haven't had for a wee while. Is that sort of natural balance of a left-footer and a right-footer at centre half and. It maybe helps him play out a wee bit more and okay mm-hmm. the pitch isn't particularly conducive to that but Peter Grant's a guy who seems to always be looking for the ball like he's quite happy to take it
2: It also might open up your options if you've got Stuart Carswell sitting on the bench uh, you know in the last half hour depending on what way the game is going you know You could bring him
0: on midfield You could, tighten, bring, him on, the midfield you could bit, bring him on
2: uh, midfield you yeah. could drop him sitting right in front of the in front of Grant and Buchanan you could even bring him back in and they could drop to a three at the back if, if you know they're really under the cost trying to shut the game down but I'm sure Stuart Carzio won't be happy with us saying this, but mm-hmm. it could be. It could work both ways. Yeah, well, I mean, that's that's the
0: whole competition for places thing, and Carzio will mm-hmm. get a chance today, you would think, with uh, with Bucky being mm-hmm. out. We'll just take a wee chance to look ahead at the games Dumbarton have coming up, and it is a really, I was going to say mouth-watering or terrifying, depending on which way you I want to look use. at it, yeah. fixture list, Sterling Albion away, for Athletic and Stenhouse Muir at home, and an Athletic away, that's... One of the the hardest little runs that you sh- have. With you stopped
2: before Stirling Albion at home. <laughs> 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 I stopped before Albion at home. Yeah. Did, so, did you get too terrified? <laughs>
0: yeah, I just didn't click on the next page. So, <laughs> I think I don't think it would be an over exaggeration to say. I mean, like we said, we don't know what's going to happen today against Albion Rovers. So I'm just completely ignoring that game because it will be history by the time this is out. But those next four or five games, they will determine the Martin season.
1: Absolutely. Uh, massive games, really difficult games. Um, teams that are playing well under new managers, teams that get the division's best players. Um, and as you say, it's, it's going to kind of determine how the season ends up, I think. Um, obviously, going to Stirling next week, we could find ourselves more head clear at the top, we could find ourselves in second place. We're Stirling playing midweek, so if Stirling win midweek, that would be an interesting dynamic for the game. I was going there, as you touched on earlier, as the Chasers, um, we might, maybe Dunbarth might approach this game differently than we did last time, going two up top, so we'll have to see what Farrell does for that one.
2: The other thing as well though you need to remember when you are in this position, you might look at a fixture list and it's a bit scary, but these are sides that Dumbarton have beaten this season and they know that they're capable of doing that. You saw like the the win against Dinowish Muir wasn't that long ago and it was very good. Um Still in Albion's a different a different ballgame. And in Athletic wasn't a great result, but they managed to dig out a win. Like it it can be done. It, 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 it really can be done
0: it almost feels as well because it's been so long since that Sterling Albion game that they've maybe been built up and built up and you know if Martin had played Sterling Albion in November and then again in February there probably wouldn't it wouldn't feel I don't know I don't know if daunting's the word but that game feels huge mm. but if that game had taken place in January when it was supposed to then the away game now regardless of what happened in the game if it had taken place in January it wouldn't have been 6-0 either way maybe if it had been 2-0, 1-0, all, all, whatever it wouldn't it wouldn't feel as big or as daunting as it does but now I'm looking at it and thinking well it's Sterling Albion twice in just 10 days or whatever it is like that that feels well, that feels a lot bigger because they've not played each other that's so what on. I'm saying
2: it is it's looming it's 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 looming large and it's the it's the quick turnaround and there's a lot that can change in those you know those two those 180 minutes if you like and both sides know that as well and it, I mean I'm I'm quite looking forward to the home game I'm really glad (laughs) with how many times it's been uh, changed as well I think there's been twice when I've not been able to make it and twice when I have so I'm really glad that I'm going to be able to make the next one but
1: so, you'd been out there digging up the park when you can't kind even of make it. <laughs> <laughs> been out there with the
0: buckets of water that I saw Stirling Albion fans accusing Suns of I might actually go to that Sterling Albion game that's midweek, I've forgotten about that. It's 10 minutes down the road from me, so I might go for that. But anyway, that way I get over my Sterling Albion phobia because I'll see them in real life and then they won't seem as daunting. It's like when a child's scared of dogs and they get at a dog so it isn't quite as scared of it.
3: I yeah, sure, yeah.
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, after the break, we will be joined by the last man to lead Dumbarton to a league title, the man responsible for me now going all over the country following Dumbarton, chasing that same feeling I got down at Annan. It'll be Jim Chapman. As you'll see at the break, we made a wee substitution. Jack Crawford has been punted off to hospitality to enjoy five-star food and joining us to slum it in the ball boys room is Wilton Barton Royalty and away the last man to win a league title with the Suns, Mr. Jim Chapman. Jim, thank you very much for joining You're us. You're
4: welcome, guys. You're welcome.
0: So, as I touched on there, you were obviously the last man to lead them back into a league title, but you played for the club before that as well, at a kind of successful period in the club's history, but from your own point of view, your spell was cut short, I think, was it 12 games, something like that, by, by injury, so talk me through that time for you, because that, that must have been really difficult.
4: Yeah, I think, you know, um, 1990 I signed, and um, it was a, just a change, I'd left Alwyn Rovers uh, at the time, and um spoke to Billy Lamont, the manager here, and a couple of interests and obviously Bosnia wasn't about at that time so it was just a case of reg- registration being retained by one club, Clubs agreeing, Green, and then when the opportunity came with them Barton then I thought yeah I'm going to go for that but I was also going to my coaching license at the time as well as my B license so um, we came in 1990 and you know it was an exciting time and Billy Lamont, you know had, had sort of outlined the plans and it was quite exciting as I said there and then I joined it and came down and started to look forward my first couple of games back, funny enough my first game back was against the Albion Rovers having left them as a player, I made my debut at Clifton Hill uh, if I recall right, we lost 3-2 but as it was progressing we started to see things going really well you know, the team starting to knit together and then we started to go on this unbeaten run you know and I think John McQuaid, fabulous player, uh, Charlie Gibson up front, you know, was solid the back with captain, Jimmy Dempsey and stuff. So there were a real good core of players there and uh, and I felt it was a chance that maybe that would be the year for Dumbarton. And then just, I suppose I call it chappies luck, you know, at times, you know, up our growth. Uh, 10th of November, about 20 past four. Not, not that I remember, it was <laughs> 1990. That, uh, all of a sudden, there was a, a, a situation in the game where the ref stopped the game. Uh, off the ball and Big Jimmy gets sent off and I seen the manager running down the touchline um, the linesman flagged up Jimmy Dempsey sent off gave a penalty to both so there was a delay in the game and it was probably a game you know that you're thinking we're, we're comfortable 1-0 and we're going to win this game and then it ended up one each. so me and my wisdom man down we got into the goal near the box and I'm saying oh, I'll just in the box here but I cut inside and misplaced my shot as usual it came back to me and as I changed foot my knee popped um, something went wrong and I hadn't really had any injuries and you know and me determined as ever to do well you know I, off you went and then Bob McCallum got his boy, Bobby and said oh, I think you'll be okay and go back on there and sent back onto the pitch and think you're going to be okay and as if the sniper just takes you out my knee buckles again and heartbreaking for me personally and um, you know he said that look, regardless what happens you'll never play again you know and I kept trying to prove them wrong yeah, um, but unfortunately they won Uh, I couldn't play. People say I couldn't play again. We never (laughs) mind, play again, but it was uh, it was it was tough at the time. But I think the way the club here took care of me, which was good. Um, I then become on the coaching staff, and they they helped me through my coach education, my A license. And then 1991, 92, I was player coach. You know, tried to keep myself playing as I could, much as I could, but. As I said, I came on to the coaching staff there with Billy Simpson, Billy Lamont, obviously, and Duke McNeil, sort yes, of Donald McNeil, and we really started to work away that, and that got me hooked into the coaching as well, so that was part of my plan, that in two years when I signed to Dumbart, and if I couldn't make it any further, then coaching was going to be my path and my journey, I just unfortunately I had to go down that journey a wee bit early than anticipated, but when you seen the guys winning the title 91-92, um, I was delighted for them, but... I didn't kick a ball that season so yeah. I felt hurt again and you miss out and every player will tell you you want to be part of something and a lot of the guys tried to keep you involved and yeah you were you're part of the coaching team and the manager was fantastic with me and all that I wasn't on that part kicking the ball or kicking the opponents and <laughs> help my teammates <laughs> it was always tough so but yeah it was great great introduction to Barton and that's why I always it fond memories of this club How much of
2: a part did it play do you think tr- trying to go back onto the pitch after that injury do you think it made any you know, much of a big impact, like trying to put weight on it again just instantly or, you yeah. know, maybe if you'd have got that injury not in 1990, say, and they were a bit more used to used to it, maybe that might be able to prevent you ending the career, you know? Yeah,
4: I think modern day, you know, if these injuries are they're more frequent now, you hear them um, and they're probably dealt with better, better, you know, progressions in the medicine recoveries, rehabs, even the, the type of operations you went through. Yeah, I did. I mean, again, maybe me my, my determined self, you know, the, when you do your, your cruise ship in November and you try and make a comeback in March, you know, three, four months, that's just, mm. call it poor rehab, call it poor um, guidance morning, but that, I was at the front of that because I was so determined to come back and then through your career, you always felt you had to justify yourself having been rejected as a young kid, people don't think you're good enough, so you always had that point to prove so I mean, people put a bit of trust in you and, and bring you to the club and a wee bit of expectation, you know, a wee a wee bit more guidance. And where I'm now I wish I could go back because if I happen to myself again then I'd be in a better place to, to guide myself properly. But I tried to persuade the manager to play me and, and I end up playing a reserve game and playing for I only to play forty five minutes it was against the at head and he says that's you done, I felt great. I was quite a strong player so the surgeon said, Yeah everything feels great, just go for it and me yeah that's the green light that's all I needed to go for it and uh, when I came back and I, I, again convinced the manager to leave me on for another 10-15 minutes uh, which is probably the worst mistake ever because if I came off at half time um, maybe you just don't know but then I fell off I just kept the ball and fell off the side of the pitch It was nobody near me again and I he buckled uh, back up to the hospital and that's when he threw the an operations and I think about four operations within the space of about three months four months just trying to come back and Anyway, and I remember a night after that one, you know, you wake up at the operation for a Sunday, and say, that's you, are you finished, you'll never play again. And I was determined to do so, and I'm lying there crying like a baby, you know, and I, I tell the, the, the events and being in the hospital where o- overnight, just after being told this, and you had news and feeling sorry for yourself, there was a man inside the bed, and he, he actually had his, his leg amputated below the knees. You know, and during the night, he had a big clatter, because he got up and fell off the, off the bed. <laughs> you know, and, and he's laughing, you know, and I'm kind of like, oh, what's happened? But he thought, yeah, he just dream and He got up as if he was going to go to the toilet and he came out and just fell off the bed, you know. <laughs> so the reality started to kick in. I'm there feeling sorry for myself. I'll never play again, but at least I've got my leg. And this guy he had no legs. And I thought, you know what, Jim, it's not the end of the world. You've started your coaching career and uh, let's go on, mate. But as I said, nowadays, you're probably being guided better. Um, probably being restricted, but that's my fault I was pushing um, desperate to do well um, and then you go into the coaching so as I said I picked up the coaching in 92 it was fantastic for the club for myself it was a great learning under both billies and then after that I got the opportunity to go into the SFA so it was a uh, career cut short I don't know what we were being and sometimes I still feel that wee bit of what could have been what might have been based on people the interest you had you know I remember John calling me something, calling me a selfish so and so, right? To be fair, because both of these started doing really well here and there was a lot of interest from down south. And uh, Quaid blames me for missing an opportunity to go south um, and a transfer. So, but again, a, a talented kid in his own right, he would have, really, he would have made uh, a, a lot higher level as well, John. So, yeah, it was uh, interesting times and something you don't forget, but it helps me guide my players, it helps me guide young players coming through and you learn from your mistakes and you use the experience of your own self and others to guide and make sure people don't make the same mistake in did.
0: That was exactly what I was going to say. Is Do you think that your own injury situation meant that when you moved into coaching and management that you were certainly erring on the side of caution with players, basically put your arm around them and say, look, I know I know how desperate you are to get back out there, but you rush this by a
4: month, a couple of weeks, yeah. you'll end up not playing again. It's falling every single day there's not a day I don't think about it there's not a day I, oh, what if you know everybody always talks about what ifs you know and I always turn around and say that to the players I work with whether it's young players um, even the academy the, even the women's football now just, what if you do go back to early what about the big picture you know what if it doesn't work you know and I keep using that because I kept thinking that myself and sometimes it's that sliding door moment that what if you didn't get injured would we win the league that year would I got your move and then all of a sudden you went the wrong way and well you 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 live to regret it a wee bit, you know, but I don't want to have any regrets, and that's why I want to say to young players, don't make the same mistakes I did. And um, you can only talk for experience, you can only talk about guiding the young players, but again, everybody makes choice. And I say that, that everyone's about choice, but the, the choice you make, you're always, and I have a great phrase, I say to the players every time, you're free to you make choice, but you're never free of the consequences of your choices, you know, and um, and then just keep thinking about that. So think the big picture, because at the end of the day, we love the game, we want to be part of the game, we don't want to miss a game, but there's a lot more to life than the game of football.
2: And presumably you'll coach some players that you will see their career prolonged because you've been able to give them that advice.
4: Well, yeah, I, I think, you know, at the end of the day, you're only part of a team now. Now you think about the medical team behind the, the sports science, you know, the, the resources now put into football and to guide players. And the game, you know, they talk about the game being a lot, for faster, stronger players, you know, so you've got to make sure that they're the best of health, you know, and sometimes, how you train and the way you do, the loads that you give can lead to, you know, injury prevention, you know, but it's, I think, the, the recovery periods and the rehab programmes off the pitch, uh, away from injuries is so much greater now, you know, but, you can only share your experiences, as I said, that, and I, I think I will never, ever force a player to do anything, and if the medical team or the physio says, yes, they can play, that's good, if they say no, then the is no, regardless, the player trying to twist your arm off <coughs> your back, regardless like my own experience, encouraging Billy, like, um, please let me stay on for another 10 minutes, you know. Unless
2: it's your 40 goal a season top scorer, I presume. <laughs> you know, <it's>, yeah,
4: yeah. <laughs> well, uh, that, that was a funny thing, you know, because i would only played eleven games. game. People thought I was a striker here because I started scoring goals, and one of the bonuses of a contract was if I did score 10, then you'd have got financially rewarded, but when you only get, you play eleven games, it was, then you, you miss out on some targets. <laughs> but no, I, I think everybody's driven, you know, but you've got to be guarded by reality, yeah, and the most important thing for me is... There's a life after football, so make sure you're fully fit and ready for
0: it. Touching on your own managerial career, obviously it obviously started at Comarnik's women's team going back to Britain. I mean, that's where you are now, I think, if my, my research is correct, so it's kind of gone full circle. But talk to me about those early days of women's football, because it's obviously it's grown a fair bit in recent years, but back then, I think it was, well, it certainly felt like a really, really sort of grassroots sort of world.
4: Yeah, and that that's probably the reason why we were allowed to be involved in it, Um I said I worked with the SFA for many years um, after I left in Barton and, and um, I was offered a couple of jobs in the professional game, but because I worked with the SFA, we were not permitted to take, undertake any coaching duties. Um, and one of my staff in uh, the development team was a girl called Donna Chain and she played for Commander Ladies and she said to me, goes, Oh, the coaches left towards the end of the season. Do you mind taking a couple of coaching sessions? Uh, so I asked permission for the SFA, and like you said, they went. Uh, yeah i will be okay because it's recreation it's amateur you know which was it, it, maybe now if you say that it's a bit disrespectful but at mm. the time that's what it was it was grassroots football there wasn't that interesting and, and I was a bit well, well I've been prevented from taking jobs in the professional game but I'm okay to work in the recreation game and amateur game conflict of interest anyway I said that's for another day sometime and I said to Donna yeah okay I'll come down and do some coaching Uh, the three coaching sessions lasted about three and a half years you know, (laughs) you get the bug uh, the girls were so receptive um, they just wanted to learn you know, and we get in there and get a bit of success and and I I, I easily confess this, that for my own tactical development as a coach, it went through the roof because the game was physically slower, so you see things happening a wee bit quicker, so my own tactical development uh, it was good for me, it was good for the players because we had a lot of success um, but it also led to some frustrations because you can see things a lot quicker than the girls were executing it. So, and I think people know me as the type of person I'm. You know, I'm quite animated at times. I'm like, ah, come on, frustrations, emotions, everything that goes into it. So, um, yeah, it was good. So I think it was it was a great part of my coaching early career in coaching. And you get the bug that yeah, I think I developed well there. So I, a lot, I get something out of it. You know, from a selfish point of view, if, if you're going to do something, do it properly. But you want to learn, and I've never done learning. You know, so it was a great learning experience for myself. It was great for the the club to come on a women's team because of the success we had, going into the Champions League a couple of times, it was just incredible experience. Even in away at that level, so i never experienced that as a player nor uh, before any managerial career going to Europe and seeing what was all like there as well. So it was a great great experience for us all. And I think that the sad part was you built a program up. And then when you walk away from it, or it's time up for me to go my next step, and you see it just falling down again, and I think that's where I see the biggest change now in women's football nowadays, is that there is sustainable structures in place, there is resources behind it. And not before time, but it's good to see that, so that when we do build up the programmes again, then hopefully they'll be here for many years to come. Can you see
0: more managers making that move from the female game? Because it feels like there's
4: no real fluidity. I
0: know Eddie Willicky-Black managed Airdrie for a wee bit, uh, until he had some health con- conditions, yeah. I think, that knocked him out of that sort of side of things. And I know Brian Graham is in charge of Partick Thistle's women's team. Do you think it will be something that over, I don't know, maybe the next 10 years, 20 years, that there becomes more fluidity
4: with coaches moving between female and male football? Well, it, again, working with the SFA and even the coach education team, you're coming across all these coaches looking to get their licences every year. So every year there's another cohort of a licence coaches, B-licensed coaches, even pro-licensed coaches. But there's only so many jobs out there. But I, I'm just a great believer, and obviously, development—I've been in the development of the game for so many years. Um, that, regardless of where you work, coaches—if co- you love coaching, you have a passion for coaching—you work at any level. You know, I've, I've had great experience of working with men's professional, women's professional, amateur regulation, even down to coaching coaches who work with five-year-olds. So, I think that the ability to adapt. And I remember a great mentor of mine, Wally McLean, said to me that now you're going into coaching, you know, the secret to any good coach is your ability to adapt. And I think if you've got the passion for coaching you want to help, then it doesn't matter who you work with. You just adapt to the group you're working with, whether that's kids, whether it's females, whether it's men. You know, and and, and I think you know the the, big, the two biggest things I've came across. People say, what what's the biggest challenges or the differences between the men's and the women's game? And, and I put it down to two E's. And the E's is in the male side, it's all egos, and in the women's side, it's emotions. You know, so but you know, it's how you learn how to deal with that. And a lot of it just comes down to people management. You know, and I think through my career and experiences I've got, I'd like to think that was a strength of mine. Some people might tell me different, <laughs> you know, you're never only please everybody, but I think that's either because as a coach, you, sometimes you're an educator, you're a teacher, you're a, you a, you're just someone there to learn and guide people. But at the same time, you know, you're also a human being. And I've got that about me as well, is that you're, t- you're talking to a human being, regardless of male, female age, whatever it's going to be. So I think, you know, if you've got a passion for coaching then any opportunity to help develop you would be, I think, everybody should embrace it.
0: You obviously will jump forward a wee bit in your career to when you joined Dumbarton, which was, uh, I think it was Hogmanay 2007 was your first game. That was a really low point for the club. They were struggling at the wrong end of League 2, or third division as it was. Just tell me a wee bit about the Dumbarton that you walked into, because that season is is not one I think fans will remember particularly fondly.
4: Yeah, it was... a bit of a it, it can rain right out of the blue if I'm being perfectly honest. Obviously the times and the jobs come about because somewhere along the line things aren't going well at a club and and being again party and supportive of all coaches and managers, and totally understand where they are. You don't like to see anyone losing their job, but that that creates an opportunity for somebody else. Um, and I'd already committed. I actually was going to Inverness Cali with Craig Brewster because I was going through my pro license at the time with these guys. And Craig offered me a job. I'd lost a job at Albion Rovers and. Um, again, just working away in the academies. I'm grateful to Craig Mulholland for helping me and uh, the Rangers and stuff. And then Craig offered me the opportunity to go and work with him up Inverness. So I was leaving the SFA, I was signed a contract to go full-time up Inverness and uh, really looking forward to that. And then I got a call to say, look, would you like to speak about the Dumbarton job? But I was already aware I thought the job had gone because I believe John Brown had accepted the job and... Um, and, and I never even thought about the job if I was being perfectly honest because it was all gone and then the call came back and they said no, I think he's he's John has reneged on the offer or whatever it was going to be and I again respect the fact that they called and asked to speak I thought it was very respectful and it made me feel good you know yeah. that, oh, it's good somebody wants you again regardless of your experience your last jobs you know you, you do hurt you know people forget that you, you do have emotions as well you do feel it when you know if you've lost a job whether it's Moving on, sacked, whatever you want to call it, you know, you've lost a job. So you, you have that we M-
2: mutual s- consent, that old, that old phrase. Hey. Yeah.
4: That, it does happen, that does happen to be fair. And then you just used it. And then when I came down and spoke to the club and asked them their plans because I was committed, you know, and, and it, it gave me the confidence to say, Look, this has to be right for me now, personally, because where I was going, what I was doing, my career, my next step, of my journey. And they, they outlaid the plans, and I said, Well, you know, it's where you are at the moment and where you want to be. That's a big step. But I do know how to get you there. However, it won't just be easy. It's going to take time. And, uh, you've got to really resource it. You've got to back it. You've got to be really committed to it. And I got the, the, the go-ahead and the, the board right behind everybody did. And they offered me the job. And, and I remember when I got offered the job and I said to the chairman, Alan, at the time, I said, before I can really commit to everything, I need to make a phone call. Uh, and I phoned Craig Brewster through the hotel after interviewing or chatting about the job. And I phoned Craig and he said, Look, they've offered me the job. And he full bled Jim, go for it, you know. On you go, you've got my full back. And then I, I said, But I've committed to you, I'm quite a loyal person. And he says, You've got my blessing, so on you go. And I'm sure our paths will cross again. So got the go ahead, we come in. And I don't think it was very popular because you're right, I think it was many or something. You get offered yeah. like everybody in for New Year's Day training because I believe the first game in the 2nd of January against his opponents I'll be nervous but just seems to follow me as a player <laughs> and a manager all clubs as a manager and all clubs as a player I end up playing in the first game so players came in I spoke to the group and said okay um, let me know where we are and, and I think that's important you've got to get the buy-in for the players and I let the players they, they emptied everything what do you think they're good at? where do you think we're being what do you think we're doing okay because oh, again as a coach and even a manager sometimes you're facil- facilitating the group of players. You try to empower them, uh, not to give them too much power because sometimes that can backfire. As it <laughs> has, um, but you, you do that because at the end of the day, it's still the you know, the, the most important thing about football players, as far as I'm concerned. Coaches, managers, you know, you try and guide and get the best of them, but players will always dominate what happens. You know, and and I think that's the key thing. And so, trying to build that relationship and let them understand that you're there for them, trying to understand where they are and then you just try and guide them that way you want to go because you've got the buy-in from them, you know, and, and, and the good thing was there were some good players here, but there was also some players here who were, and um, again, I won't mention any names, please don't ask me <laughs> to do that, but there was a, there undue stress, you know, from the, the crowd. I did a bit of research about how many players were playing and some of the, the call it targets from the, fa- the, state, the stand, sorry, you know, there that some players were getting no ends of grief that sometimes the coaches and managers it when it doesn't go well, but it seemed to be a few players. And I remember taking a couple of players to the side and say, look, I'm not going to play you for a couple of weeks because I want to just take you out and protect you. And we come back, and they come back a bit stronger because of that. You know, and, and I tried to explain to them, but, like, players were I want to play, so they obviously thought you weren't in your plans, but when you guide them and you tell them the plan for them, then they come back to you now. And I, I think we got that. However, there was a lot of... Um, I don't want to say negativity, but there was there was that downside that, oh, we're not doing well, we're never going to get anywhere. So it was a case of managing it through to the end of the season, trying to put a wee bit of blocks in. And as much as we're getting it week to week on for the rest of that season, I was starting to put plans in place for the summer because I knew that that was my opportunity to start building, put the foundations in. It felt almost at that time I mean even from what I remember from that
0: period was it was like right just get to the end of the season don't finish bottom
3: mm-hmm.
0: I mean there was no trap door in those days so you could mm-hmm. finish bottom if you wanted but don't finish bottom because it would be embarrassing for the club and then just rip it up and start again in the summer but what I want to touch on is, is one of your kind of earlier signings and a guy who you probably knew better than most was obviously Gordon Lennon uh, talk to me about Gordon because I, you, you would have known him as well as anybody in football
4: Yeah yeah, and, and again Paths cross again, and young again, John Doyle, Army Row, um, Robert Watt, Albion Rovers. You know, we, we when we were building the team, Albion Rovers, there wasn't a great deal of resources, so we go for the younger guys, and guys coming out of 21s and stuff, so we got to you know a good level about that. And we brought Gordon in the Albion Rovers, and um, yeah, he just bring the place up, you know, and I uh, just loved playing. Very raw, very, he has a good bit of talent about him as well, but and that happened that, for that young Albion Rovers team we had. You know, because even I brought a couple of players back who was probably losing a way, like Scott Chaplin, for example. He'd lost his way a wee bit and they come back and you started to get this young, hungry team together, Albanovers, who were on the up at the times and unfortunately <laughs> didn't suit some people above me and uh, you lose your job on that. But again, when you talk about loyalty, if you install a bit of loyalty and trust in some people, you get it back. And, uh, and I think with Gordon... I asked him to trust me, I said, you know, as I always do, any player I work with, my main aim is to make you better. And that's my aim, is to try and make them better. And he bought into everything we are doing, he helped, he guided us, and uh, played a significant part for taking the clubs forward. And he built that relationship, and so much so, his potential, I, I spoke to him, I call it Bartek Thistle, and i this is a young lad, I think, you could really take forward. Um, so, But it went, and it didn't really work out for him, because, and I'm sure i will not mind me, mentioning this, but if you judge Guido at training, then you think, yeah, forget it, you know, but he, he just didn't like training, he always came up with the favourite phrases, why am I getting a side <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and that was it. he just wanted to play, he loved playing you know, but there was a couple of players there, even a young lad's name, Donaghy uh, was a fantastic talent, but you've got you've got to look at the boys who are hungry to do well, you've seen something in them and then you take them and say, I think there's more to come from you, but we need to try and work with you and when you put that bit of loyalty and trust in him, he got it back. And then the relationship started to build a wee bit more off the pitch as well because his family and you get to know his family and absolute magnificent family. And, uh, you know, I can't speak highly of him uh, and also his family as well. But when he goes to Partick Thistle and then I go out of job and, and then uh, we get the job here and I remember someone saying, oh, there's a couple of list of players that previous coaches and managers had, had mentioned. And, and I looked down the list and I went, well, he'll be here soon. He'll be here <laughs> I can get him how can you get him? trust me you know and and as soon as he was on a loan spell to good friends of mine John Coughlin and Matt Kerr you know and they were good friends all over rivals for 90 minutes but they were very supportive of me and I really thank John and Matt for that support at times when you were out of the job but and they knew because Gordon was on loan to stay you know, and they knew that as soon as I got a job his, his loan deal was finished at Thistle when he was coming straight here so and again coming here and we started to build it, but it wasn't just his abilities, a player, his personality. You know, and, and another a good lad um, I spoke to him, was was Mick Delon, Um and already started to look at Michael, it was Queen's Park with a bit of an injury at the time and, but I didn't mind because I knew Michael would be a real cornerstone for me and I spoke to him and we convinced Michael to come here and I know when he signed the chairman he says he's, he's a bit injured, He's I, no, I know he'll be injured to begin with, but trust me, this guy will help take us forward. You know, and I put a I that's that. trust and Michael came here, and you know, and it, and it was just had that kind of relationship with players. And hopefully, they remember these things, you know. Um, as I said, but sometimes if it doesn't they end well, they always don't know. But you forget how it started, <laughs> you know. So, but when Guido came in, and I think you've seen the popularity of him, the rapport he builds with his teammates, the staff, the fans, everybody. He loved his football, you know. And it's just absolute tragedy, you know. That, you talk about things I mean my career got cut short with injury but there's someone a lot worse whose life was cut terribly terribly short and um, and unfortunately would never ever get a chance to fulfil what I thought he was capable of but you know um, we'll never forget him Was that quite an easy
0: decision as well to appoint him as captain because he was young he was relatively inexperienced in the senior game but you gave him the armband you know, very very early on was that quite an easy decision because not just of what he was like on the park but like you say building relationships off the park and it doesn't really matter if you're 20 years old or 38 years old or whatever. I mean trust it's, presumably as yeah, well, yeah. It's, that, it's that trust and that relationship
4: yeah, I, I think the, the feeling you get with a player and the trust that he knows where I was coming from, I know what he can do for me and he he technically was was mm-hmm. in the changing room and that's why the changing room you know people talk about that's the players domain I mean, you've got someone in there who will make sure it's run the way you want it to run and you build that trust and relationships and I had that in Guido and Guido had that from his players so it was a, a dead easy decision regardless of his age and experience his personality you know? but at the same time he understood where we were coming from having worked with his previous understanding what we are trying to achieve you know. and, and if there was anyone slacking or, or not really trying to go the same direction as herself then I didn't have to intervene you know, the players did that themselves you know, and then say about a good couple of characters in the changing room, but none bigger than Guido.
2: Are you always going to have slightly older players that, when you'd give the armband to a younger, a younger player, that are going to, you know, turn their nose up at it or have a word with you? Or is, is that something that you you did expect at all?
4: I, I, I didn't expect anything. No. If I'm being honest I don't. This is the way we're going, you know, and it's it's quite straightforward. As I say, when I first come in, you speak to players, come on, we talk to me. Let's tell me, okay. And it's my job is build. You put all the pieces of the jigsaw together. My job is build it all. You know, and then try to say to players and explain to them where and why, you know, why we make these decisions and why we try to achieve this. You know, at the end of the day, uh, you know, the captain's a guy with the captain's armband, but every player who started for me, I wanted to feel like a captain. It's about accepting roles and responsibilities. It all became leadership, and I think that's the key bit. Is that this leadership? People talk about leadership, and there's some real good, experienced players I managed to bring in just to help the younger lads. But as a leader and a captain he probably wouldn't be able to do that kind of role. And I didn't want to dilute the responsibilities, you know, for or even for them, because sometimes they go a different direction, you know. They say, well, I'm the captain, and maybe they change. So you've got to have the right type of person who it won't affect their performance, and it won't affect them personally either as, uh, within the dressing room, because sometimes captains can. I, I'm too busy worrying and coaching everybody else. They forget about their own game. Whereas, you know, if everybody could say, well, I've got to take care of myself... Uh, and you need a captain here just to remind them, and I'm quite sure the captain will be happy to tell ever play me. Um, I wasn't short sure of reminding myself, so it wasn't just we do are the captain or, or other players. You know, it was you know we did it together, and I think that's the key thing.
0: In the summer of 2008, uh, you made some of the. I mean, we spoke to Stevie Aitken on the podcast before about making like a, having a cracking in window. The summer of 2008, you brought in Mike Dunlop. We touched on there, David McEwen and goals, Ross Clark, Stevie Murray, Derek Carkey. I mean, a host of others that will come to as well. You must have sat back as a manager and gone, pretty pleased with my business this window. Although it does
2: sound like you knew <laughs> that you were gonna feel quite pleased with your window ah, in, it, in I the I run just, up to the summer. You
4: know there's there's two things, you know, that when you're in, I think somebody said to me about that season's the most amount of players that was played that season because we did have to rip everything up. But as I spoke about earlier, doing a wee bit of groundwork before the end of the, the, the last six months of the first season that came in, in two thousand eight, up to the summer you're doing some work. Um I thought Type of football I wanted to play, I remember the Kane here. I wanted to open the pitch, I wanted to make the pitch wider. You know, I wanted to be open, expansive, I wanted to be attractive football, get people with pace. Um, Stephen, an absolute joy, you know, fans' favourite, but again, he was one of these players that was maybe starting to think, What's my next step? and trying to encourage him to come here and um, tell him about what our plan is, what we're trying to do. And, and he bought in here, yeah, it was great. And then Mr. Derek Carker, who I just knew would probably give you Bolt a run for his money at Bell, you know. And that's where the pitch came. But again, solid at the back. Dave McEwen, I knew a few times at Hamilton. Um, Michael and and Guido come in, and and uh, Big Ben Gordon and stuff that come in later. I remember saying to Charlie Devlin, who started working in my 18s, because I started to put the youth structure in place at the time as well, and I spoke to Charlie, and Charlie recommended Ben, and we came to pre-season, I just said to Charlie, he signs for me, Charlie, or you don't work anymore. (laughs) You know, so Charlie was very influential in bringing Ben and all that in. So, the network of people had working for us was great, and again that's where really your background in the game. And and Ross Clark just reminded me of myself, wow, fantastic attacking midfield goal scorer. And that, and again, if you look at my teams through the seasons and everyone really worked, is that like my top scorers always seem to be attacking midfielders because that's where I was, you know. And you, and you tend to look at these type of players, but Clarky was absolutely a dream, an absolute dream. Who just ended up on the ball in the box and scored so many goals for us, you know, but. When you've got the likes of Stevie Murray and Dale giving you outlets and Stevie creating, solid at the back with Michael, Guido, Ben, even in the middle of the park going forward, bringing the change at the Christmas time was crucial for me as well. You know, We knew we had a good spine, but we knew we needed extra. And it was more a quantity with some quality. But my whole plan was when I got to December and the wind opens again, was I can reduce the quantity and add a bit of quality. And I think... Paddy Boyle's coming in even bringing young Ross Forbes and Dennis McLaughlin and you know when you start to look at it, um, even Ryan McStay one of the most talented footballers you'll ever play uh, or work with and all that you know and all of a sudden I'm starting to look at it and it became spoiled for choice <laughs> um, but again we, we sort of trying to knit all that together we had a wee down spell um, but it was going to take time for them all to click and then all of a sudden when they did click we went on that fantastic run and obviously you know became champions you know which probably around about January, February time you think we'll, maybe we'll win the race but maybe still struggle because Count Beath had kicked away um, and when I got the guys together and how we gelled and they were just fantastic characters uh, some of the fun the banter but they loved the football and I love working with players who love to play and they guys love to play and they were
3: I
2: was just wondering whether you were going to ask but certainly on my mind you talked about when you came into the job and the vision and the plan that the club had, and it was first of all, you know, let's not finish bottom. But what was your aim in that summer? You know, you, you already, already said you had an idea of what players you wanted to bring in, you're happy with your window. Should, I mean, are you sitting there in you know July thinking we're going to win, we can win this league?
4: No, no, I, I, for me, as I say, it was more a quantity over quality issue. I needed some quality, but again, no re- limited resources. You work within the budgets that um, we did, we used it wisely but for every but you know, like, a bit of quality you bring in, you might need a couple of extra players for to up a bit of quality, strength and depth in your bench. So part of the plan was, there's some good young players here, there's some players here who will help take us that step. And it is a step-by-step process. So getting it started, getting off to a good start was important. Getting some, if, if you want to call it marquee signings as, as people talk about nowadays, I thought we got that. We got a bit of excitement, we got a bit of experience and quality in. But we also had, the other players, and even some, like Andy Gegg, and people had at Geggs as a full-back, you know, and we had, Gegg started to play fullback, and I started to see traits, and I'm thinking, I'm going to play higher up pitch, you know, okay, to go and fill for the land, I don't know if he remembers, but putting him a wee bit higher, and he starts to score goals, and he thinks he's the best attacking midfield ever, and Andy. Like, he, he filled in
2: at full-back here, what, last, last season? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and but,
4: centre-half, yeah. as well. Yeah, because he loved his football, you know, and, and even another young lad who I had a great affinity with him is Ian Chisholm you know you could, people can always talk about whether it's lack of the abilities or whatever it's going to be but he would give you absolutely everything you know and, and some things it's just that blend and Chiz was a fantastic player for me and also for the club and for everybody else's teammates because you knew that when he was on the pitch you could rely on him doing everything in the inning for you and, and people could, you know like this never ever question his commitment and his application he was first class and that's what we try to challenge with all the players, regardless of what we've got, our commitment and application. And it was a plan, as you said, and, and the whole plan was year one, we want to be competitive, we want to be up the top of the league, we want to be up challenging. I would never set targets because sometimes you set targets and goals, if you don't achieve them, then you're a failure. And that's around Scottish football for me, is that we're all, there's a fear of failure before of a bit of planning. and I I know I I had some some critics of yeah your 35 year plan chart and this that and the next thing but you've got to have a plan you've got to have something and realistic tangible targets you know I knew that I can get to December among things I'll be reducing some of the players I'll remove some of the quantity and I'll try and get a bit of extra quality coming in and we did that and then even getting into the next summer we were already starting to plan well who's next what is the next kind of quality but that also depends where you end up And as we started to gain momentum towards the end of that season, we're thinking, we could catch Cowdenby Theatre. But all we could do is win. And it was just the tag of, let's see how high we can finish. And I remember, you know, the the guys with a good chat, a good meeting, um, sports psychologists come in, good communication. And we took the boys to Cameron House. The chairman says, yep, let's go down for a night. It wasn't training. And then me understanding players and, and agreeing with the player, always trying to protect my players as best they can. So we get the night at Cameron House. Uh, they won the night. So if we win, do we come night? Like, yeah. <laughs> so all of a sudden we, we won and we went back to Cameron House and we won again. <laughs> and we won again. <laughs> so it was a few costly running. run. Yeah, you know, but uh, great, great support. And it was good making a laugh at that. But it was that, probably that wee night about just everything just clicked that came together. Because, you know, you're still trying to with the team, as I said, great quality, great players to work with. They've been at great levels. We're just trying to piece it together all the time, and whether well, it was an injury or suspension, and chopping and changing uh, as you had to do. But we finally got to that settled squad, and we finally got a good run, and the belief came in. Everybody were doing, and then all of a sudden, the great run. And for me, the turning point. I remember we played four for away, um, coming back one night midweek. Four for us. This was the real challenging game, and then, you know, I think Dick Campbell and good adversary Dick and all. And uh, I said, if we can come out for here. Then I think we've got a chance. We can chase somebody right down. We won two 0 and I remember coming down the road and I said, "Yeah, we've got a chance now." Coad and Beathill start to feel pressure, and then you had that vision of the trophy sitting in front of the team bus coming round the track, coming round the road there and all that. And I said to the guys, oh, "Just a wee vision, maybe we're a bit ahead of schedule, you know." But you're never ever going to knock success back, you know, and probably getting the success we got. Sometimes the expectations change. You know, so year one was always about getting more competitive, getting the right squad in. I'd built the youth academy underneath it, set up the community foundation. So all of a sudden I'm putting the whole structure in place. You know, and it was quite a unique position that, as well as being the first team manager, you're the head of the youth and then you were starting to head up the community and start to set up a, the charitable foundation of a club, which for me is so crucial. It's the heartbeat of any, any community as a football club. So we, we started to put all that in place and it was, it was tough work. And uh, lo and behold, down to Annan. Knowing that a 13, a 13 goal swing or something, uh, something obscene like that. <laughs> and, and I go back to, to speaking to Dick Campbell, who I've got so much admiration for. And we're in the manager's room after we beat 4 for here. And he said, Ah, you'll go there. He says, Well, don't worry, we'll take care of the county next week for you. And he says, Have you won the title before? We? He says, in Dick's ready, wee man, have you won the title before? I says, No. He says, This could, this could be it. He says, It's great, enjoy it. He says, 'Cause he's done it, you know, and, and I'll never forget that kind of support from people. I get so much respect
0: for. You touched obviously on a few players there that I was wanting to mention. And Ian Chisholm was absolutely one of them because if they, if you think of you, Chizzy's one of the players you think of. So there'd be maybe like Scott Chapman as well in terms of guys who followed you about in your mm-hmm. career. But I think we mentioned it, to, so that's before Chrissy's time, watching De Martin. But Chizzy played, I'm fairly certain, every single outfield position for De Martin. He played at right-back, he played at left-back, he played at centre-back, he played in centre-mid, he played on both wings, and he played a few games at number nine as well. That sounds tiring.
4: <laughs> <laughs> Probably at the same time. <laughs> the but do you know what, and again, like myself, if you say it the only position he hated was substitute. He didn't like being a sub, or worse than that, being in the stand. But you knew when you put chiz on you, you were going to get everything from him. The ultimate enthusiast like myself, I, I described myself as a. but someone who was totally committed. And you're right, you know, that he was like a jack of all who could do a job. And if only we could have found something, uh, he could have been a master at something. But yeah. he was such an athlete. Um, technically, yeah, everybody, we all have limits and our abilities. But application wise, and his tactical versatility was there you know and no matter where we played him he would just give you everything did he understand the role 100% no but he did the job for the team and he was absolutely one of the most important team players you could ever have in your, your soul squad of players
0: and he was someone that you'd I think you brought to Albion over some tower hearts obviously Guido mm-hmm. had came from Harmony Row Ben Gordon came from university football is that that sort of hunger you see from guys who maybe came from you know I, I don't want to say that they think that they're not going to make it in the senior game but maybe when you're playing 21s and you think well playing with my pals, I'm playing for a good team at this level, but I'm probably not gonna step up. They've got that maybe we extra bit of hunger.
4: It's an untapped market, especially at lower level clubs. You know, and I'm not being disrespectful to some of the, the clubs, you know, at the lower levels here, but it's a certainly an untapped market. And we got to new know all the players at that level. So I was just talking to, to Tommy out there and the, when it got to like, you do your homework I probably knew all the junior players, all the, the youth kids at academies, all the 21s because that's, that's where your bloodlines uh, come from until we get our own academy up and running. And it was, I've always said I would never, ever be a, I call it playground pocket money. You know, guys come to the end of the career who, yeah, I'll be happy just to play, but that's not where the plan was, that's not where we want to be, that's not our ambitions. We need players who are as hungry as the club are and, and desperate for success, you know. You've got to have that desire to be successful. Now, what is success is always a question at low-level clubs would you determine success to be? And sometimes just people look at, world well, championships and, prog- and promotions, but you forget about the infrastructure underneath it and the progression of young players coming through and the club's sustainability is the key thing as well. But, yeah, I, I would never, ever be a playground for Pokemon players, I call them. But the players who did come, there was like, like Stevie Murray, like a Scott Chapman, who may have just ah, started to find, I'm dropping down a bit, it's just to reinvigorate career. But you've got to give them that environment to to Showcase themselves again, and I think we did that with Scott Albion Overs, Stevie coming here was great, and the could easily on, even like with Ross Clark, you know, who you know probably was at that we cross what's next because he was at Alawa and stuff. And said, so, Look, come here and rekindle yourself, you know. And, and hopefully, we did that from someone, but as I said there, I think going forward, again, being steeped in development, the, the promotion of your own players, the growing, the growth of your own was great. And then you, you Martin McNiffs, the Tony Wallace's Alan Cooks, Nicky Devlin's. You know I spoke to the chairman there about for the business side of the the development plan as well is that we've got to play some younger players but sometimes you play younger players the results won't go your way, don't worry about it because if I play them they become valuable, we sell them and it helps the business grow so you had to look at all that you know and I thought the work of Charlie Devlin, John Joyce and Kenny McCormish, Stuart Mall, all these youth coaches, David Lydens even um, Alan New did all the scouting and all that in the area the buy-in for the Dumbarton Football Development League, everybody's just started to buy in and go the same direction. And that was the pathway right into the first team. And you have to open that door. You have to have a manager who believes in the youth structure we're put in place. I suppose I was fortunate because as the director of youth and the manager, it was my choice. But it was my whole philosophy running right through the club. Um, even had a couple of arguments with myself about... Speaking to the director of youth is it ready? I don't know. Is it ready? <laughs> so, you know, so but it was. But I said the support for all these guys I spoke about, my coaching team, and you've seen the fruits of that. Even Brannan's coming on later on as well, you know. And, and it was great to see some of these guys go and progress. and I can look at a couple of them now who've had a fantastic career in football. And again, thinking to the people that helped them started, I hope they don't forget that because one day they'll be sitting here, hopefully, doing the same influence and guidance of other young players that come through as well. That we run towards the end of the season was,
0: was absolutely phenomenal. I think club sent records for a few things, but 747 minutes without a clean sheet. Now, you're, you've always been an attacking football sort of manager and an attacking player, but that side of the game as well, I mean, 747 minutes without conceding a goal, that must be a record that you're hugely proud of that team for.
4: Absolutely, yeah. You want to play open attacking football. You know, people, I wanted to play expansive football. I had the quality to do that, but who am I going to tell the players up the top of the pitch are you playing? We you go and have fun you know and whereas my defensive organisation and it's, a, it's a, a thing people maybe not see but I always was so more focused on a defensive organisation in position when we had the ball because the transition so quick and it changes so as soon as I had as soon as that I let the guys go go and be yourselves and I didn't have to worry about guys <laughs> but I just looked at how we were shaping how we were protecting just in case you know and then the qualities of the guys at the back they marshaled everything well and, and one thing I thought we became very good at was counter attacking as well because, yeah, we absorbed a lot of pressure sometimes in games. But when you've got an outlet, like Carcury or Stevie Murray can take the ball and go on a and, you know, create something from nothing. So it was all, we had an absolute brilliant blend. But my main focus, and I know it sounds silly, is it? I was really focused on our defensive organisation when we had the ball, you know, because once, once it turns over, we were already ready to start to break it down so we could keep the attacking players doing what they're brilliant at. Because I think, you know, and I look at Ross Clark and Ian Scott Chapman's, we want to free these players up. I don't want them making runs in the box. We always score it make the forward runs with the handbrake on. I don't know if I can go or not. I wanted to free them up. Let them go and get in the box, get on score goals. But don't worry about it because I've got the protection behind you. So it's just your balance in the team to make that happen. And, and I think they did that really well. You keep
2: uh, mentioning obviously that run at the end of the season and the thing that I'm interested about in relation to this season is it feels like it's like the opposite in terms of the results like some started with such an amazing run at the start of the season and you went on to win the title at the end it's not really a question it's yeah. just uh, it's just yeah. something that's been in my mind and it just I, I think with the similarities with the two seasons they're almost sort of roles reversed but they could end up with the same the same outcome
4: It doesn't matter as long as it's the same outcome yeah. everybody plays in the whole and the and the guys go and do that you know, and I'm not quite sure if you ask any coach, any manager, any player, you want to be talk. You know, it's good to be. People talk about hunted or chased or whatever it's going to be. Sometimes you want to be hunted, but again, it's how you handle that. And then when you chase, if you're chasing teams, then it's all you can do is take care of your own business. And it doesn't matter when anybody else. If you go and take care of your own business, you win games. It doesn't matter where you're being hunted or where you're chasing. You can't do nothing but All you can control is your own game. And that was the mindset we put into the players. Let's just win, and whatever happens, happens and all of a sudden the, the gap closes, you go, oh, they all start to feel the pressure more on us, because you don't want the guys to start to think, oh, yeah, we're getting there, because as soon as you hit one bad result, it could just blow on your face. So we,
2: we've spoken about that this season, I've been a couple of bad results, and obviously Dumbarton have been at the top of the league for so long, but how would you feel being in Stevie's position at the moment? It, you mentioned, Yeah, and I mean, <laughs> obviously <laughs> delighted, but you know, when you, you just yeah. mentioned it there, you have that result, and maybe a couple of players think, oh,
4: you know, but, you know, that's important. An important part, and in, in that you talk about the whole club. The club is, you know, you, you know. I always talk about it's dead easy to be negative. I think I said that once, and people thought I was being very critical of people's intelligence, which I wasn't. Because if something doesn't go well, then everybody oh, panic stations. You forget about the good, and that's what happens. And it's just I don't know if it's a cultural thing we have here in Scottish football or whatever it is. But as soon as oh, it's not the result. Well, first things first, I'll say you've no divine right to win a football game. That's the first thing. The next thing is. It's not the be and end up because it's how you deal with that. And then if there is a lot of negativity comes behind it, or, then that brings pressure, you know, and it's how you manage that, how you handle that. And if you're getting the players a bit anxious then, as a manager coach, you've got to say, hey, forget it. And I think Stevie's done that really well because there's the bounce back quite a few times. I've not kept an eye on the results. He's done it brilliantly and he's a good lad for that. He'll understand that himself. Trying to take look, guys, okay, it's a wee setback, but let's move on. Don't forget where we are what we've done. Um, you need the whole fan base, the whole community to understand that as well that sometimes it won't go to plan on a Saturday sometimes you won't get the result you deserve uh, or maybe <laughs> you do deserve that result but it's realising what the big picture is because how you react to the negative side of things can, that's what causes the anxiety that's what adds the pressure because everybody says, okay, wasn't great didn't like it, you'll have your opinions but let's draw a line under it, move on and let's get right behind everybody again on Saturday and and I think Stevie's done that really well, and I hope that the fan base has done that to get right behind him. And hopefully that will be the case between now and the end of the season. Because it, yeah, you're getting chased down, but you're still in the best position ever. We'll touch a wee bit on that Annan game now, which I think is for fact for
0: most Dunbarton fans actually a very special day. For fans of my kind of age and generation, like that's one of my my best memories. Like we had my granddad down, my papa down, like the whole family. there. I think Dunbarton probably outnumbered the Annan support. People are throwing about big inflatable bananas. It was just. Like as a as a twelve year old, I think it's just like one of the best the best experiences. You're only twelve then. Yeah. Thanks <laughs> for <laughs> me feel a bit older. It might have been eleven actually. Oh, that, more, so, anyway, but so well, we will stick with twelve. But, so we'll <laughs> stick with 12. Um, that must be one of the most special days of your career. But also secondly, uh, Peter Watson it was who I think ended that uh, seven hundred and forty seven yeah. minute run without conceding a goal. Who you then managed to and Did you uh, did you go particularly harsh on him for that? <laughs> no, it. it's funny
4: because I had Peter up at all in overs as well and the commitment and the desire of that young lad, he used to drive up to Albion Overs from down in Annan where he stayed and he drove up and down as 74 to training and play for his Albion Overs because it, it could draw potential. You know and then I suppose when I went back through some hands at Annen, they probably went oh no not him again. <laughs> but anyway so no I, I think going back to that day I know what we're doing and you talk about the experience for everybody and this is where I thought the club were all starting to come together which was great. Fantastic, we won six 0 out here. No one, I think it was Elgin, yep. uh, I think Derek Carkle was raging at me for taking him off after scoring four in the first <laughs> half or something. So, you know, wanted to stay on, but he done his job. You know, and that was it. So, um, you know, uh, and then and I started to think, okay, it's a thirteen goal swing, but I'm still cautious. You know, I'm like, no, don't don't take it for granted. You know, we want to win, we want to keep winning, we want to keep things going. You know, we don't want to lapse here. And and I, I remember there was. Um, in the evening were where things happening and one of the supporters, I think it was Ian who had bid to be like a match day experience Ian with us. P- P- Ian McEwan, local PE teacher as Ian well. And, and <laughs> I think maybe we followed be after later on somewhere <laughs> but I remember Ian and, and uh, to give him a match day experience that he bid for and I thought it was brilliant, so I actually turned that day over to Ian and he got to lead the team out and I a uh, a big day for me, but it's not because I realised how it meant to him, what it meant for him and the uh, and I think it was a wee bit nervous just come on Ian you're in doing the team talk with the players and he's in the changing room and stuff and then obviously when the teams were coming out it was, a, it was a bit of a gala but I'm still thinking wait a minute it's not impossible to lose this in mean, 13 and okay let's make sure we don't and we've not conceded goals for long enough but if you don't, just, we don't let's sure we don't Concede 7 or 8 goals and he won by 7 or 8 goals <laughs> I was never settled I'm, I'm never settled, you know, if I win 1-0 I want 2-0, if I win 8-0 I want 9-0 I want players to have that game mentality, it's never done till the ref throws you off the pitch, so it was never ever completed for me but to do that and see the smile in Ian's face and give it to the fans, who deserve it as much as the players as himself as well because that's what it's about, and I thought that was a good day, and it was a special day and and also had the great fortune to go back to Annen and I had a, the best opportunity to thank Henry McClelland and all the board there properly for the way they treated us that day, it was just absolutely incredible and that spoke a lot for the people at Annan and then when obviously with Harry was the, the manager there and when Harry moved on uh, obviously my position had changed here and when Henry called about the job I, I, it wasn't even a second thought because I knew the people and they were mad type of people And the people down there, and I thought, what a fantastic opportunity! I wanted to go down there and try and build Annan the way I'd started to build Dumbarton And um, it was great to see them achieve where I'd set the plan to be. But I get taken out the driving seat. It'd uh, be fair. So, but that's a, another story. <laughs> that's I want to go back to that. that night. Obviously, everyone came up to
0: the stadium, and there was like a, a real party there. Now, I'm hoping that Sean can put this on screen. I, I do have a picture of me from that night, which might make you feel slightly terrified. Which hopefully at this stage Sean will be able to put on screen. I am the taller one than that. All right, picture, the taller one. To, no, no, no. to be fair.
4: Great. Well, and isn't that all goes about? But you you speak about Guido. He gave we, me the trophy for
0: that, and my yeah, dad says you nice. want to get in the picture, and he said no, no, just let the boys have let it. The so boys have,
4: and that that just speaks because it was the fans, and I think we had that relationship with the fans. We had that rapport, and, and we we recognised as the team and the players and even the coaching staff how important the fans were to us and then I remember when Gordon got the trophy we all had a wee chance, yeah, yeah straight away he went and he gave it to the fans and that's what it meant to him and that's what he meant to him as well so I'm not surprised I did that with you yourself there. and uh, you know it was, it was great memories and I remember coming back down here and that was um, quite an emotional moment for myself because I was down here obviously my wife and the boys and that were down and then David Provert came and says, there's a guy here Tell me, he's, he's telling me he's your Uncle Alec it was from Uncle Alex in Chapel Hall in Airdrie it, you know Now what's he doing down here and Marion wasn't very well and, and lo and behold he, he dragged me and, and it was my Uncle Alex and he says oh, I'm here he says because your dad would have been proud of you you know and you were in it. And I, it was quite emotional at the time you know like he, he put man Mar- took Mantmarion and he showed him was okay and he drove all the way down because he knew we were coming back here to see isn't it and that was quite an emotional thing and it was great and I think that just shows you that when you get success it's everybody feels it But all I would say to everybody, sometimes you might not get the success you want, but don't ever forget those feelings because it's so important and it means so much to everybody.
0: Is that the proudest day of your managerial career, or your football career generally? You know, that that day and an and what came after it must, yeah, that must have
4: just been incredible. It it was great because you've seen the results of all your hard work, your plans come to fruition that people keep doing, you've got a plan, you need it. (laughs) Um, and and more importantly for the young players because you're trying to sell the project to them we need them to buy in and when they buy in and they see the reward they got the rewards for their buy in and to me, I I, I think I said to you earlier guys coaches and managers don't win anything players win games coaches and managers lose the game because team selection tactics or something (laughs) it's always a problem you know, that happens and you learn that as I said but to me it was I get more satisfaction out of seeing all the players getting rewarded for coming to demand, for coming and buying into the plan we had for them. Not just individually but collectively. And when you've seen that come to fruition, then that is a proud moment. You know, not just specifically for a manager, you've got you've won a title, you know. Nah managers and coaches don't want anything. It's nice to be recognised, it's nice to be rewarded, but you never ever do that. This game's about players. And when players believe in you, you get more satisfaction. And that's more satisfaction than any medal or anything will do for me. It's great to see the players achieve and believe.
0: I like to throw in a wee curveball question at the end of these podcasts, and the one that sort of flicked into my mind here was if you could take one player from that two thousand and eight nine squad to be your teammate, be that in your time at Albion Rovers or at Dumbarton, a guy who may be able to set up goals for you or done your running or you know covered your back, covered you you know defensively whatever. Which one player? Now this is you've been put right on the spot here.
4: Which one? I'm player on would the you spot put? because, for a selfish point of view. Um, I would be jealous of Ross Clark, you know, because <laughs> um, he's a midfield runner. I would be jealous, uh, but he was fantastic. I would have Stevie Murray, who would create opportunities all day long. I could have Derek Carker, who would on the, on the, make my bad passes look good. This is you just picking the tenor <laughs> <right, you> in. <know, laughs> you, know you know what? And I look at it, the guys would free me up at the back, as I said, Ryan makes the technical player, Ross Forbes, Paddy Boyle, sweet left foot you know Geggs would make his runs Chizzy would just fight anybody for me <laughs> you know Guido would take care of me regardless of what happens and Big Dave McHugh would just get the life out of saw so all of a <laughs> sudden I don't think I could ever fit into a team that I had you know and, and I think it okay. sounds like you wanted to play in that team or, uh, <laughs> the guys will tell you I tried to play at training, and every night and, and they said you're the worst player ever I tried to join in and I just recognised where you were and I kept trying to join in sometimes and, um, but they were just a fabulous group of boys and uh I think it'd be unfair to who who would I take to play with me because I think you talk about trust and loyalty. I'm quite sure if we could go back and relive it and knowing what we know now and how we go, how many would come with you? I would like to think they all would.
0: That seems like a perfect place to end it, Jim. Thank you very oh, much for your time great. today. Thank you. thank and uh, you. I hopefully you prove a lucky charm just like you did in your first game for yeah, the Aston Park and, Bulls.
4: Um, <laughs> if I can, just oh. Stevie and all the players and everybody else here at the club. I wish you every success end of the season and. Uh, Stay positive and I'm quite sure you'll get the title.